Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. This content is brought to you by Link2, which makes private equity investment easy. I've been a user of Link2 for years. They allow you to access many different tech companies and crypto companies pre-IPO. They have over 166,000 members. They have over $234 million in total investments. And some of the companies in their portfolio includes Ripple, Uphold, Circle, Dapper Labs, Ledger, BitPay, and many more. Link2 is one of the reputable companies out there working with some very big names. And if you'd like to learn more, please visit the link in the description. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto Podcast, your home for cryptocurrency news and interviews. With me today is Congressman French Hill, who is a Republican out of the state of Arkansas. Congressman Hill, it's an honor to have you on the show, sir. Tony, great to be with you. Thanks for the invite. So, Congressman, I have a lot of questions related to crypto, but I would love to get to know you a bit better. Uh, where are you from and where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, I'm a ninth generation Arkansan. So uh, my folks, my generation's past go back to the 18th century in Arkansas. So they came up the Mississippi River from New Orleans and were pioneering citizens. Uh, so it's it's been home for a long time. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and what made you decide to get into politics? Well, I always loved public policy as a kid. I was a volunteer on campaigns uh, back in the in the uh, late 60s for Winthrop Rockefeller, who became the first Republican uh, governor of Arkansas since Reconstruction. He was a reform governor that beat the uh, famous segregationist Orville Faubus back in uh, the mid-60s. And so there was a little bit of bug about politics then, but primarily I just love economics, history, and public policy. So early in my career, when I was in my 20s, I worked on the Senate Banking Committee staff for two years for John for, for John Tower, who was a senator from, from Texas. And then uh, that led five years later to President Bush asking me to come back to Washington and, and be a Deputy Assistant Secretary of Treasury which I did for two years, and then I worked for him on his White House staff for uh, the last two years of his administration running uh, the White House economic policy. Oh, wow. Um, silly question. Bush Sr. or Bush 
junior. Yeah, senior. So okay. I was uh, I was uh, worked for President Bush from 1989 to early 1993. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, so let's talk a bit about crypto. Um, Searching, certainly the larger theme here is American innovation and jobs and technology and fostering innovation. Uh, the United States got it right with the internet and that birthed great companies like Google and Amazons and uh, created a lot of jobs and, and a lot of GDP benefits and so forth. Uh, right now, though, crypto, which is the next layer on top of the internet, seems to be facing a lot of headwinds. Um, many from regulatory agencies, there's a lot of confusion. You know, how can the United States get this right so we can be in the driver's seat? Boy, it's such an important question. And, you know, we've worked on this for years. We had fintech task forces on House Financial Services Committee dating back four years ago. But I was proud to chair for the, the Republicans under uh, both Maxine Waters and Patrick McHenry. So our committee has been working this issue, learning about it, studying it uh, for a number of years. And I wish we could have reached consensus sooner because I believe it would have anchored the United States as the innovative headquarters for Web3 and distributed ledger and blockchain innovation. Unfortunately, though, both on the tax side as well as in the regulatory and security side, we have not yet gotten it right. And that's why the work we're doing right now, in my view, uh, hopefully will set up that framework uh, develop a consensus between the executive branch and the legislative branch and let us move forward back to that position of global innovation uh, leader in uh, Web3 blockchain. Uh, and I know we're going to talk a lot about that today, but I always make that point, and you touched on it, which is the United States got it right in the mid-1990s when Chris Cox, a member of Congress from Southern California, subsequently a, a chairman of the SEC, introduced a resolution uh, to basically say, we don't really even know what the internet is. We're not sure what its benefits are. In fact, when you read that 1996 resolution, it's just filled with silly terms and bizarre references to the internet. It was mostly about kind of some of the bad things that might come across it, you know, scary stuff. But he basically said, like the Hippocratic Oath for doctors, you know, let's do no harm. Mm. And we're not going to tax or regulate this technology out of business. We're going to tax and regulate things that go on with that technology. And boy, was that a brilliant philosophy of the 1990s Congress. We're trying to take that approach here as it relates to Web3 and we pound away at it every day in the House and Senate. Uh, and we really appreciate all the engagement we have from the private sector, from inventors, innovators, investors, venture capitalists uh, out in the uh, uh, blockchain universe. But we're not there yet. And so I really appreciate you referencing the Internet because I think that's what I like to talk about with my colleagues is whether you like the word crypto or not, you need to think bigger. You need to see the forest and not be concerned about a particular tree because of the great uh, innovation that this will open up for the next wave of growth, jobs, opportunity, and, and economic development. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that across the globe, you know, it's it's a very, there's a lot of competition to, to put it uh uh, in a short form, um, the UK has passed regulations, the EU as well. Um, 
And that's in the backdrop. And then here you have a lot of the Wall Street firms, TradFi, like BlackRock, Fidelity, and so forth, are launching services uh, for crypto, blockchain, and Web3. Um, and yesterday, there was a ruling in the SEC Ripple lawsuit where Ripple won that lawsuit against the SEC XRP Asset Clarity. Do you think all these things um, that are happening within this time frame will help boost the urgency for Congress to act? You know, I do, Tony. And I think people always ask me, hey, uh, FTX is horrible, fraudulent, confusing global collapse last fall. Does that help create the conditions precedent to getting a regulatory framework, finding consensus. And I always argue, absolutely, mm -hmm. because it it just showed uh, bluntly, massively, the confusion about regulatory framework, oversight, and exposed, obviously, some of the risks uh, in the arena that uh, exist. And, uh, you know, part of it is that Gary Gensler said last year, hey, he's the cop on the beat. You know, he's out protecting American investors. And he was great at, you know, condemning and chasing down Kim Kardashian for advertising crypto. But I didn't really see him take any preventative action to FTX. And, you know, maybe you could argue that all these enforcement actions in 2023 or a result of maybe his embarrassment for not doing anything about FTX. I'm not saying that. I don't know that. But that's something that you could uh, certainly uh, position as a hypothesis. So, I yes, I believe that the FTX collapse, I believe that uh, XRP's recent uh, uh, lawsuit where the SEC has been, you know, essentially put on its back foot there. I wouldn't call it a victory, but it's a step toward a, a victory. Uh, indicate we need a statutory regulatory framework. And I remind everybody, too, this is what the Biden administration has called for, hmm. a, a statutory legal framework to advance America as an innovator in this space. Yeah, and I'm hoping... You know, we're, we're, we haven't lost too much ground because, uh, you know, China and, and the folks in Hong Kong, we're seeing a lot of doors opening there. Uh, I was seeing some uh, regulators in UK and so forth soliciting U.S. businesses. And I'm yeah. like, what is happening? Yeah. So let's keep let's keep on this this theme. You talked about other big players. You have uh, J.P. Morgan Chase has a, a product called Onyx where they're experimenting with a di distributed ledger between their big international customers settling in essentially a, a JP Morgan coin, if you want to think about that. The point is, can it save time and money and be more accurate? That's They're experimenting with that. You've seen the big money managers like uh, BlackRock and others propose to do an ETF uh, in uh, Bitcoin. The SEC has not been uh, cooperative there. And uh, Tom Emmer, my colleague from Minnesota, and I've really written the SEC questioning their unfair logic uh, that doesn't follow the statute on those. Um, and then uh, uh, something else a lot of people don't quite follow and they're because they're so focused on Gary Gensler, but to have spot market regulation for Bitcoin over the Commodities Future Trading Commission arena, we need a statutory change. It cannot be done by regulation. It can't just be done because the CFTC chairman wants to do it, thinks it's a good idea. So we have, I think, market condition reasons for this framework. 
We have international competition reasons, which you've outlined very capably. We have companies that want to innovate, but they don't want to break the rules right here in the U.S. And then finally, we have legal reasons why you can't put a square peg in a round hole of our existing system. And we call that fit for purpose. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with this this bill, these sets of, of bills we're talking about. Um, so speaking of those bills, I, I know you're part of this subcommittee, um, you know, heading up and reviewing digital assets. Uh, we, we have the Lummis Gillibrand, we have Patrick McHenry and Glenn Thompson. Uh, Tom Emmer also put out the Securities Clarity Act. There's, yep. there's been quite a few, even in the past, Warren Davidson did the Token Taxonomy Act. Right. You know, is, is there any bill, and this may be a hard question to answer now, but that is the leading candidate, so to speak, that potentially yeah. can make it through? Yeah, great, uh, great question. So, yes, we, we noted that uh, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming and uh, Kristen Gillibrand of New York have reintroduced their framework in the last few days. I've not studied it. Uh, it's something I really look forward to because that means there's demonstrated leadership over in the Senate of trying to get this right. So that work, which would be bipartisan, is important. Also over in the Senate, in the Agriculture Committee, as it relates to the way the commodities statutes are done, John Bozeman, my home state senator from Arkansas, and Debbie Stabenow up in Michigan, they have expressed strong engagement on the commodity piece. So we've got some partners in the Senate. We may not all agree, but in my my view at this time, that doesn't make any difference. You know, do we have engagement on a, what we call a bicameral basis across the Capitol? I think we do. Secondly, in the House, you mentioned G.T. Thompson. He chairs the Ag Committee. Patrick McHenry chairs our Financial Services Committee. And yes, we concentrated our efforts into two pieces of legislation, one on stable coins, hmm. How do you put stable back in stable coin? How do you define what makes a good one? I'm going to say good, meaning regulatorily approved stable coin. Mm-hmm. How are they overseen by the states and the federal government? Uh, how do they report? How do they do their audits? Um, and uh, I think that will create a marketplace for more people to have confidence in issuing a stable coin. I support both bank and non-banks issuing stable coins under a fair set of common rules. Mm-hmm. We've had some bipartisan support there. Um, we have some issues, you know, as we always do, but I don't think of them as political issues. I just think of them as policy differences issues. So we're working through that on stable coins. And then the second bill has been jointly written by the House Ag Committee under uh, G.T. Thompson and Dusty Johnson from South Dakota's effort and my, my team on the Digital Assets Committee here in the House Financial Services Committee that I chair. Uh, along with our staffs. And that's on this overall regulatory framework that deals with things like the XRP decision, the Howey test, uh, which, uh, as you noted, Warren Davidson's been very involved in. So we're taking Tom Emmer's suggestions, Warren's suggestions and leadership. He's my vice chairman of our digital assets subcommittee. And we're trying to make those proposals in those two buckets. A stable coin bucket and a regulatory framework bucket. 
And we want to move those here in the next month, if we can, through our committee. And we're working mighty hard with uh, all the Republicans to keep them on the same page and to try to attract Democratic support and get comments from the administration and wait for it, wait for it, including the SEC. So uh, <laughs> so this is a this is like doing a roof. When you write a big, complex bill, it's like doing a Rubik's Cube. You know, it takes uh, takes a lot of effort. Sure. Yeah. And and look, this I I want to make sure I'm fair. This technology is moving at a very fast pace. It is a bit complex. Um, there's many layers to it, many different facets. You mentioned stable coins. Then there's the security, not security question. Then you have yep. DeFi. There's so many things to it. Um, so I certainly NFTs. Oh yeah, NFTs as well. So that uh, you know, we here's my view on uh, decentralized finance. You know, big picture. I don't think we can get there in the way our federal and state system works and our all the other ancillary consumer and investor type issues in the U.S. if we don't take this first step. So we propose, you know, doing a DeFi study on what do we need to do next after we get these two building block bills passed. And then on, frankly, on NFTs and utility tokens, I don't believe they're securities at all. Uh, this bill's basically sort of silent on that. Now, that makes some people... Uh, question if that's smart or not, but uh, I would argue, I mean, I think that's the right approach. If you don't think a you buying my painting that I have in my home is a security transaction, then I don't know why we want to even intimate that it might be a security transaction. So I would call that an emerging area, but that's sort of my philosophy around the concept of a utility token and uh, NFT type issue. And look, Tony, this is going to get better once we lay out the a transparent framework and let people right. start working within it. Yeah. I don't want everything that to be a court test. Yeah. And I think we're better off if we have a framework and then we can either amend it or we we have a bunch of definitions that maybe that allows people to. I just think it'll have more clarity and that people can move forward. And then we can still watch, as you say, what competitive environments are doing, whether it's in Singapore or the UK or the or the EU. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's crawl, walk, run. And I think even like the look, the EU MICA law is not perfect. There's certainly right. fine tuning it's either, but you got to start somewhere. You got to get the ball rolling. So I'm agreeing with you. Um, somebody at least get something in place and then build on that, right? Right. Yeah. Um, now, with regards to the SEC, um, look, it, this may be a symptom of government at large and uh, but a lot of folks are not happy with Gary Genser and and they feel he's bringing a lot brought a lot of politics and uh, you know into the mix of the SEC and the entire industry is frustrated. Folks are asking, can Gary Genser be impeached or fired and or mm -hmm. even if he leaves and someone comes in, is that seat as the chairman still beholden to all these problems and the yeah. same thing will continue? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. You know, it's an independent regulatory agency. Uh, I would say, as a general matter, you know, he he's not going to be fired, and he he he's really it would be very difficult to impeach him. Uh, we have two 
uh, Republican commissioners, you know, out of five. So it's a three, two vote over on the SEC. Gary Gensler is a super uh, intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. He actually, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, know he has his he has his own MIT uh, blockchain course that I think you can still take open source off uh, the MIT website. So he just has a point of view that a lot of us just plain disagree with. We do not believe that you can just come in and register. And we do not believe that you can just ipso facto, uh, you know, uh, fill out a form and be okay with current SEC regulation. And again, it's not political. It is a policy difference where we believe that we need to fine tune and restructure some of the SEC approach to be fit for purpose for in fact, tokens that are connected to an investment contract due to money raising, right? And those that aren't. And create a statutory test that that is effectively defining Howie so that if you're an innovator or a venture capitalist, you can say, yeah, I can, yeah, here's the roadmap, you know, that I've got some confidence uh, in this. And if you already have a project that is absolutely decentralized or you want to write a a new project on an existing blockchain that you think is easily decentralized, you know, for your opening act, you're not really raising money, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, You can drop into this framework and also have clarity, even if you're not raising money from, from people. And then we define how a broker Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Can trade these assets, how they might be listed on a commodity exchange, if that's what somebody wants to do. It allows a broker to list in both the securities and the commodities market and defines how you do that. Uh, It defines some protections like not commingling assets, the proper custody, the proper wallets. I'm a big believer in self-custody wallets and, and Warren Davidson is a wonderful advocate for that. We wanna get there on that portion as well. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's subject, obviously, to anti-fraud and, you know, the usual things you have to do to, to comply with federal law. And this is why I say this is if we get this done, then I believe we can build, you know, off of it and make changes as they're needed. 
So Congressman, hard question for you. Yeah. Uh, next year is the election year. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a lot of madness as usual. Yeah. Uh, can Congress get something through um, by the end of this year or early next year that could be signed into law? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's going to be challenging, but let me offer you a path on how the answer to the question would be yes. We need the, the Biden administration to recognize if we want America to be competitive, we have to have this framework. And we have to be willing to compromise with each other on some policy differences in order to get it established. So the first goal to me answering yes is engagement and support from the Biden administration to work in good faith with uh, the Republicans in the House and the senators uh, over across the Capitol to getting to yes on both these two broad topics, uh, stable coins and the basic regulatory framework. Secondly, uh, the Democrats have to recognize, you know, this isn't really a political thing. This is just a, a place where we have to, we can collaborate. And so I think we've had really good collaboration in the House. We need to make sure we can see that over in the Senate. And if we have those two operations, I think you could see, uh, particularly on stable coins, you know, a bill enacted before the end of this Congress. And maybe we do make progress on regulatory framework. Um, optimistically, you could try to, you know, we will we will do our part to try to pass both and try to do both in a bipartisan way. Um, and, you know, maybe the things that I mentioned before, where you have this perfect storm of the very large institutional investors, some of the largest BlackRock and this XRP case, um, other countries moving ahead, maybe... I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. It lights a fire and gets everybody on the same page to get this done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about CBDCs and the digital dollar. Um, you know, blockchain is is the tech that's going to be powering that with tokenization of different assets and even fiat currency. Um, however, myself and many others are concerned about uh, our right to privacy in alignment with the U.S. Constitution because we see China's digital yuan um, that is a super surveillance tool yeah. from what it looks like from the outside. Um, how can the Fed and the United States get that right? Um, and maybe, I don't know if you, you and the other, your colleagues have taken steps to try to steer this in the right direction. Yeah, well, I do think it's something to uh, be very cautious about, but not to panic about it and not demonize the whole topic, because I'm seeing that now on the left. Um I see a real demand. We we want everybody to bank at the Fed and we're going to issue CBDC and we're going to credit and debit all of your life through that uh, digital account at the Fed. And, and it could it could lend itself to precisely what you argue, meaning a surveillance state and a ability to block your purchases or know what your purchases are. And, you know, really, seriously, that's crazy. And it's not in keeping with a very decentralized, uh, laid back, uh, libertarian, Fourth Amendment protected sort of style that we have in our American economy. This is not a small country of five million people that all have the same cell phone and they all bank at just two places and they all speak the same language and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's 
So I think some on the left think this is some new age of Aquarius where Nirvana, you know, spreads across like a quiet wave. Over on the right, boy, you know, this is a gateway to communism and uh, uh, a surveillance state. So with that political backdrop, let's think about it this way. First, Jake Auchincloss, great Democrat from Massachusetts and I, have a bill that says you cannot have a central bank digital currency in the United States unless it's approved by a act passed by Congress. So it doesn't make any difference if it's retail or wholesale or whatever. So that's where I am and that's where Jake is. Uh, Tom Emmer has a bill uh, that blocks uh, CBDC's consideration unless they're guaranteed that they look just like cash. Hmm. So that they're permissionless uh, and not essentially, you know, anonymous. So if I go in Popeyes and buy my lunch, you know, I'm giving them a a ten and a five, and I get four dollars back. I mean, it's the same thing. Or if I buy that painting from you that you and I talked about a you know a few minutes ago, and give you you know eighty five hundred dollars for it, again, you know, it's in the who cares category. So that's where Tom is. And I think that's a consensus of a lot of Democrats and Republicans, by the way. So there's no bulldozer charging forward in America towards a retail Fed issued to every American CBDC. And I think that's the lay of the land. But, you know, will central banks use distributed ledger? Mm. Will they settle transaction between banks and between central banks on a distributed ledger? I guess I would say, well, I hope so. Uh, you know, and I hope they use a dollar token. Yeah. So uh, we want, that's why I support payment stable coins that are dollar, U.S. dollar backed with treasury securities. That means that creates demand for se- treasury securities. It's dollar for dollar. It's safe. It is a tokenized fiat money. It allows the private sector to innovate and figure out how people want to use this. And it's it's maybe someday in the future, maybe they'll say, well, that would be, you know, we've proven the use case that this makes a lot of sense. But then I would argue, who wants a digital yuan? Mm-hmm. There's no court system. It's not a currency that is exchangeable. It's a powerful country that can make you take it, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not the kind of currency you want. If someone tells you, you will take it, you'll jam it. You know, that's not a very good uh, deal. If it's not exchangeable, uh, then why would you want it? If I can't convert it into another currency, that's not very good. If I can't go to court in that country and adjudicate a complaint or a legal matter, that's not very good. Mm -hmm. But we want the dollar to remain the 21st century currency of the world and and can be competitive. So we need to get this right. And then the last thing I always say about this is you want to protect the dollars, the reserve currency. It won't have anything to do with the CBDC. It'll have to do with reining in our budget deficits and getting our spending under control. For sure. (laughs) Uh, No, great points. And um, look, I I have faith in in the government to get this right and align it with the Constitution um, as the source of truth. That's our obligation. And I, I really believe you got strong bipartisan sharing of that view and our our listeners and you know our friends around the country 
they can be skeptical, and I get that, and they should be worried, and I get that, but they should not automatically think that the government, you know, wants this to happen, and that's why I think we ought to have Congress deeply involved in it and approving it by statute. Um, there's also uh, blockchain voting, which is being tested in, in different states. What are your thoughts on that, and uh, which could help eliminate election fraud or whatever it may be and have more fair and efficient voting? Um, even people can vote from overseas if they're you know, from the United States, of course, U.S. citizens. Uh, but with blockchain, you can verify it. Yeah. Well, this is another way I think we're going to be once if we have this framework, then I think you'll see that's where I think you'll see innovation flourish in both the public sector and the private sector. And we'll start demonstrating to the American people. What is this all about? Why is this even important to me? Why does it why is it better? And the whole idea is that it's more accurate, it can be more timely, it's able to be verified and backtracked, and you have this, uh, you know, audit trail that's fantastic, and you're doing it basically without an, you know, a an intermediary in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll see innovative counties or cities try that. Uh, they'll run maybe a parallel system. They'll do a pilot program. Uh, And I think that would be really interesting to see the public's reaction, because if we don't have a lot of transparent, common tests of this, then you're always going to have people dubious and the same people who have, I don't know, I don't want to get into the politics of some other topics, but people are just kind of crazy what they think about various uh, activities. So I don't want to have this one poisoned by that kind of Area 51 mentality. Uh, And so I think we need to walk before we run. Like, what if it would be very cool, I think, if a county went ahead and put on the blockchain all their abstract data for all the titles of every property in that county, going back to the first time the plat was given to that county to by the United States, right? And you build that layer tokenized all the way up, meaning you have instant validation that the property you just bought has no liens against it and you have free and clear title to it. Uh, or as actually Libra and Facebook talked about uh, in the international remittance area. Mm-hmm where MoneyGram or Western Union or some other player, a bank or even a social media platform offered a blockchain uh, remittance from the United States to Mexico or uh, for Haitians to help their family members in Haiti or Rwandans here who want to help their family in Rwanda, where you have lower cost a digital money for them through the blockchain. I mean, there's so many ways to demonstrate that this is a good future technology. And then I think people will be trusting, just like they trusted their first use of an ATM card or sending money on Venmo through their phone or that first time they scanned a check yeah. with their smartphone in 2011 and it actually got deposited in their bank and it so far, nothing bad happened, you know. So early adapters are always out in front on this thing, but you don't you don't want you want it where the ordinary citizen sees the benefit. And that's why I think 
what you're thinking about could be a great thing to test in a, in a small town or on a bond issue vote somewhere to show people how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got to start, start small before you take it to the federal level, right? Uh, these states and counties can test it out. Right. Um, I know there was a bill, if I'm not mistaken, that you're working on, on accreditation or uh, uh, removing accreditation requirements as it co- relates to investing, not just, just yeah. crypto. Yeah. Tell us about that. And, and, you know, the future of that, because it, it it's almost insulting that, okay, a person who's doesn't have the same level of capital, but may understand the markets well, it can participate, but you know, the hedge funds can't. Yeah, no, that's really important. When I first got out of college, there were twice as many public companies uh, in America and people really didn't invest privately that much, except uh, truly in, in the old school uh, venture capital arena uh, or in real estate. So in the last 40 years, you've seen uh, so many different ways to participate in private markets. And now we have almost as many people working in privately owned companies as we do publicly owned companies. And companies are staying private longer because I think the costs we've put up and the liabilities and some of the crazy mandates associated with being a public company. So we do want to lower those costs, reduce those mandates, encourage opportunities for people to go public, go public earlier, offer those investment opportunities to people all over the country and world for just a few dollars. But we do have this private company investment uh, growth and opportunity. And that's where this definition of accredited investor comes in. It goes back to 1982 when people recognized that some people wanted to invest in private placements, private markets before public their public companies. So they said, if you have a million dollar net worth, excluding your house, uh, or you make $200,000 a year, they were gonna deem you an accredited investor. And they, they their thought was, look, that means you can lose some money. And remember, those are 1982 numbers. Yeah. So gosh, $200,000 in income in 1982, that's, you know, a fortune. Uh, I'd say somebody's entry level salary in 1982 might be in the $20,000 range. So, I mean, that that was, you know, 200,000 is a lot of money. And they basically said, then that's it. You know, if you don't have that, you can't invest in a private placement to build a new hotel or to start up uh, a pharmaceutical company or to, you know, start your, you know, your, your a business you know something about. So what my bill does is it says that if you have knowledge about the business, you don't have to have the net worth or income test. Mm. So if you are, let's say you have a PhD in physics, uh, you're working in a very interesting startup right in your comfort zone, right in your space, but you're just out of grad school. Uh, you know, and you're making a decent living, but you don't have any net worth yet, and you want to participate in a startup business, I would say your your skills, your abilities, your education, you're working in your space, you'd be eligible to invest and not have the liability, you know, of, uh, of that rule. Likewise, if you have a CPA, a CFA, uh, you've passed the Series 7 broker-dealer exam, then, you, you know, 
I'd say you're pretty well informed about investing in a in a private placement. But my real motivation, I did this for many years. I, I raised a lot of money in Reg D private placements for a lot of different businesses and companies, including my own. And I was so frustrated, but some of my employees, I mean, they were rock stars, but, you know, they really couldn't invest. Mm. Now, Reg D says that you may offer your Reg D private placement, you're raising $5 million for something, to an unlimited number of accredited investors, and you may offer it to not more than 35 non-accredited investors. Mm. So normally you could try to take care of your employees there, but you know what every lawyer tells you? Oh, no, man. I wouldn't do that. One thing goes wrong, that non-accredited investors are going to sue the company, sue the officers. So basically, people just don't take advantage of that, basically. And that's why uh, I propose that we do it based on expertise. And in our new crypto framework bill, uh, we are allow, we allow uh, crowdsourced funding to be a source of funding for a new a digital asset project, mm. and we have a uh, uh, we allow non-accredited investors to participate through that crowdfunding. So we really want to democratize that business, but and we do want to do it in a safe way. I got that, but that's the kind of the balance I've tried to strike. Yeah, that's that's great, and I think uh, for, definitely forward looking into how uh, the future of markets and and uh, capital raise and so forth. Um, I know we're up on time, so I want to. Uh, Give some wrap. I have some wrap up questions here for you. Yep. A rapid fire. Favorite food? Uh, I'm gonna say fried chicken. Uh, favorite musician or band? Uh, kind of old school. The original uh, White Album for the Beatles is my favorite. Uh, favorite music. Favorite movie. Favorite movie: North by Northwest. Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, favorite book. Uh. Boy, that's tough because I read so much. Um, I'm going to say the uh, it's going to do me. Ner- will you nerd out with me if I say it's a biography? The uh, first volume of uh, Edmund Morris's uh, biography of Theodore Roosevelt. Fantastic. Oh, wow. um, and when you're not doing your congressional duties, what are you doing for fun as a hobby pastime? I'm a terrible golfer, so uh, I do that only to uh, because it, it provides a, a great source of daily humility for me. Uh, but my favorite thing to do is to be outdoors on a trail, either uh, hiking, backpacking, or uh, climbing in the mountains. My favorite place is to be above tree line somewhere. Uh, that's awesome. Congressman Hill, a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for uh, all your efforts in the fight uh, for clear regulations for the crypto industry and Uh, It's certainly great chatting with you. You bet, Tony. Great to be with you, and thanks for the invite. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.